sorry i didn't hear you good morning. good morning thank you welcome to barah ministries an intimate local christian church with worldwide impact my name is pastor rory clark welcome to this bible lesson who is jesus christ at barah ministries we know this truth that jesus christ is god in deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 35 the jews are reminded of this established and irrevocable fact it says to you the Jewish race, your deliverance was shown to you through experience so that you might know that the Lord is your God, the God of Israel, and there is no other God besides him. Our almighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't deliver the Jews only, though he delivers all mankind. Why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by introducing people to the Lord teaching the word of God from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective, verse by verse. Barah Ministries exists for the benefit of Christians, those of us who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of his word. Why study the word of God? The Apostle Peter tells us why in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Here's what he says. He said, Beloved, divinely loved ones, a reference to believers in Christ. Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men so as to fall from your steadfastness. Second Peter 3.18, instead grow in the sphere of grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We study scripture to get to know the Lord. And we implore you, to always compare what you learn, both at Barah Ministries and in the world, with what the Bible says. That's not just an invitation. It's a responsibility. Well, God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, We believers in Christ know that we are, of, we are possessions of God the Father. And we also know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, Satan. He is always influencing us. One of the traps he sucks us into, sins of the flesh, immorality. And we call to mind the prodigal son who was accused by his older brother of loose living. We all know these sins. If you don't know them, I can enumerate them for you. Would you like me to enumerate them for you? Would you like me to call you out by name, those of you who are doing them? Amen? I don't have an amen on that, so I will not do it, all right? 
<laughs> but much worse are Satan's traps that involve sins of the spirit. The sins of legalism, for example, where people put themselves above others. In 1 Corinthians, the triclinium believers in the first century church at Corinth were elitist believers who proclaimed themselves to be better than everyone else. They committed the same sin as the older brother in the prodigal son story, who in self-righteousness flaunted how good he is compared to his brother for not engaging in loose living, but his judging of his brother is a much worse sin in God's eyes, the sin of pride, a sin of the spirit. And Satan readily sucks us into these sins as well, and we act like there's nothing wrong with it. Please, don't be fooled. Those sins are much worse. The sins of judging and gossiping and maligning others. Much worse than the sins of immorality. I would much rather hang out with somebody who was immoral than somebody who was moral. Believe me. Because the people who are being moral think they're all that, and they just aren't. All right, well, today's Bible lesson, resurrection makes death powerless. Resurrection makes death powerless. Well, there's a great line from a song in the rock opera Jesus Christ Superstar. It says, to conquer death, you only have to die. I love that. To conquer death, you only have to die. You only have to die. I love that. But here's the truth. The truth is, the soul once born never dies. So a believer in Christ never has to worry about dying. What dies is our body. We can't wait for that to happen. We will be so happy to shed this mortal coil to throw it into the furnace and let it be burned. So what a great line from that rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar. On today's lesson, we'll continue to ask, is the resurrection from the dead real? Because if it isn't, death is scarier than we think. See, I think this chapter, I didn't write this part because I didn't realize it until I was on my way over here, but... This chapter is really interesting, uh, 1, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, because it's a microcosm of our world. On the one hand, we have God saying, there is a resurrection from the dead. On the other hand, we have Satan and the world system saying, there's no resurrection from the dead. This is it. Live it up. When you're out, you're out. And we sit squarely between those two viewpoints. What do you believe? Because I'll tell you what. If you believe Satan's lie about the resurrection from the dead, you may as well not be here. You may as well just get it over with now. So that's what we're looking at in this chapter. Well, let's start with some music. We were born physically alive and spiritually dead. We were born under the sovereignty of sin. We were born into bondage, a state of slavery. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ's work on the cross freed us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us believers in Christ free. Therefore, keep on standing firm in the freedom and do not be entangled again in a yoke of slavery. 
We live in Satan's kingdom and we're watching our liberties be systematically stripped. And yet we are still relaxed. We are still confident that our God works all things together for good. We're not going to get ourselves all in a depression because of it. Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 and 14 say this. You were called to freedom, brethren. That's a term referring to believers in Christ. Only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through unconditional love, serve one another. Galatians 5.14 For the whole Mosaic law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor unconditionally just as you love yourself unconditionally. Love. That single word which conquers all. John chapter 8, verse 36. So if the Son of Man makes you free... First class condition, if, if, and it's true, yeah, he does. When you place your faith in him, you will be free indeed. Here's Austin French to sing a freedom hymn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I push, I pull, go back and forth, finding myself. Pounding on a locked door, I try to make it out alone without your help. But I know I'll never win this war. I can never be, never be free without you. I can never be, never be me without you. This is the sound of change breaking. This is the beat of a heart changing. This is the song of a
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the circumstances you bring into our lives. More and more, you put us in circumstances that have no answer but you. It's part of our training to depend on you and you alone and to fix our eyes on the triune members of the Godhead, you, Father, and your Son, our Lord Jesus, the Christ, and God, the Holy Spirit. Guide us, Father. Help us to pray ridiculous prayers. Help us to expect things from you that defy the imagination. Show us that when we count on you, we put divine power behind the desire of our hearts. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, Resurrection Makes Death Powerless. Resurrection Makes Death Powerless. Death has no power over you as a believer in Christ because you are never going to die. Your body will die, but you will not. So we continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at sections 3 and 4. As a reminder, the issue the Apostle Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 15 is a concern the believers in the first century church at Corinth have. Is there really a resurrection from the dead? Satan is always introducing these questions that create doubt in us. Well, is there really? Well, how do you know? How can you be sure? Because I'm sure. Shut up. Some were saying no in the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, Paul asks, Now, if Christ is preached, and he is in your church, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So Paul's first argument deals with a fundamental question, and he takes 34 verses to address it. And the fundamental question is, is the resurrection real? And so there are four sections of 1 Corinthians 15, these, this first part, answering this first question, and we'll finish up the last two today. You were introduced to verses 20 and 28 last week, and now we're going to take a look at them verse by verse. It's important for us not to lose the context of Paul's argument. What if there isn't a resurrection from the dead? That's what the Greek philosophers were saying. And some in the first century church of Corinth believe that there is life after death, but without a resurrection from the dead. So if there's life after death without a resurrection from the dead, what is it? Are we chairs afterward? You know, are we, are, are we, what, what, what are we, animals? Do we come back as a dog? Because if we do, the last thing that I would want to come back as is a chihuahua, right? I mean, that would be horrible. You know, I want to come back as a kind of mean Labrador retriever, amen? Right? Like, for the most part, being pretty cool, but if you make me mad, you might get bitten. That's kind of how it is. So, these believers in Corinth are in a mental struggle between what happens in the earthly realm and what happens in the heavenly realm. And when you start asking these questions of speculation, you start coming up with all the stupid answers that you could ever think about. 
you know, like, oh, well, is there resurrection from the dead? Well, how would it happen? I mean, our bodies go into the ground and they get eaten by worms. And how would God take that body? Will we be walking around for all eternity with a worm-eaten body? And they start doing stuff like that. And so they're not distinguishing between the earthly realm and the heavenly realm. They're not looking at God as the big God he is. They're not thinking about what power God has. But they're trying to dumb God down. They are confused, and Paul is correcting their thinking. The resurrection from the dead is a central tenet in biblical Christianity. It offers us hope. Because think about it, if you thought, okay, you're going to die one day and that's it. And there are a lot of people walking around on the planet who think exactly that. You're going to die one day and that's it. What a miserable existence this would be if we actually thought that way. Well, the members of the first century Corinthian church believe the gospel message. They are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are saved. But they're being pelted with questions from the philosophers of the society in which they exist the Greek philosopher society, people who obsess with provocative questions as intellectual exercises. There's nothing worse than smart people. Smart people are always the poorest people in the room because all they do is think incessantly. The whole group that is behind the perpetration of all this COVID, the Bilderberg group, the hundred people who are trying to orchestrate one world government. Those are all the smart people. And they're really wealthy. They're really smart at making money. They're really smart at taking advantage of the middle class. They're really smart at making us hate each other. They're really smart at perpetrating racism and continuing it in us so that we question ourselves. Oh, Rory, you're a minority. Oh, Rory, you're colored. Oh, Rory, you were an American at one time, but now you're an African-American. But wait a minute, I've been to Europe. Africans don't even like Americans. Or they don't even like black people from America, so how did that happen? And all of a sudden, I'm a, an at-risk youth. I can't believe that you grew up and had a successful life when you were an at-risk youth. You know, the, the, they, they take the Mexicans, the Cubans, the, the uh, Puerto Ricans, the, the Spaniards, groups that all hate each other and put them all in one group, the Hispanics. And we let them. We let them. We let them. We, and when I say we let them, I don't expect you to go out and say, okay, well, Rory said that we shouldn't accept that, so let's all meet at Alma School in Southern today with signs and let's pick it. Down with, you know, minority words. No. But what I expect you to do is to stop accepting that in yourself. Stop letting the world define you. Stop letting the world tell you how you ought to look, how you ought to think, how you ought to feel. If you want somebody or something to tell you how you ought to look or how you ought to feel, come right here to the Bible. 66 books that will tell you everything you need to know about life right here. Get that in here and you will be amazing. And reject all of that propaganda from the outside that tells you that you ought to be 
whatever they say you are. If women would listen to me on this, if women would listen to me on this, you would save $6,000 a year on personal products. <laughs> I mean, we got women in our congregation to get their hair did every week. How is that? <laughs> See, the guilty always speak. Amen? <laughs> so anyway, the Corinthians, look, I... I'll have their back. I'll have their back. They're new believers. So baby believers, you you don't expect much from baby believers. Honestly, that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 3. I can't speak to you as I would speak to spiritual people. I got to speak to you as if I'm speaking to babes in Christ. So he knew. We know. We understand when it's new for you, there's not enough content inside of you to really, really be able to process the things that are going on in this world effectively. And so that's why we come here every week and let God plant a seed and let him water it and let those seeds grow and let them become this amazing thing inside of us. So these guys are confused because they're pelted with questions that create doubt about what the Bible is teaching them, about what Paul is teaching them. Well, yeah, but what if? Well, yeah, but what if? Yeah, but yeah, what if there's no resurrection from the dead? Many people in that culture were hoping there's no resurrection from the dead. And many were even hoping that there's no afterlife so they could justify sinning in this life. Eat, drink, and be merry. Party like it's 1999. That's what they wanted to do. Well, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then there is a catastrophic domino effect for Christians. If, Christ, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ isn't resurrection from, re- resurrected from the dead. So then we're just worshiping another human martyr who we can look at hanging from a cross and just be sad. I had some friends over to my house on Friday night, that, uh, a friend that I haven't seen in 20 years. And she saw the cross on, on my wall and she said, you know, that's amazing That's a beautiful cross on your wall. She said, you know what I like about it best? And I said, no, what? She said, Christ isn't hanging from it. He's risen. Yeah. Amen. He is risen. So we aren't worshiping a martyr. We're worshiping somebody that was raised from the dead. If there's no resurrection from the dead, Christianity is a practical joke that's being played on us. If there's no resurrection from the dead, your pastor and God the Father are liars because we have both reported to you that Christ is raised from the dead. If there's no resurrection from the dead, you waste your time coming to church and thinking about God. Luckily for us, the joke is on anyone who thinks there is no resurrection from the dead because they are a joke. Now, last week you were introduced to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 28. So now let's study it verse by verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But now, as a matter of fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who are asleep. If there are first fruits in a harvest, there will be other crops following shortly. Christ has his resurrection body, and he showed it off 
to 500 people at one time during the 40 days immediately after his resurrection. All believers in Christ will get a resurrection body too. Amen? Are you a little bit excited about that? Are you wondering a little bit what your resurrection body is going to be like? I guarantee you one, you know, I don't know everything there is to know about the resurrection body, but I guarantee you one thing. It will not be falling down. Amen? (laughs) And there's some people in our congregation that are so happy to hear that piece of information. Amen, June? (laughs) There's not going to be any falling down. You know, the, the cool thing about God is there's so many guarantees in God's plan for mankind. And one of the guarantees is that you, as a believer in Christ, will have a resurrection body one day. Christ, as the first fruits of the resurrection, is the equivalent of a signature guarantee that if Christ is raised from the dead, and of course he is, that his believers will follow in a future harvest of souls. That sounds exactly like the sealing ministry of God the Holy Spirit. Because what is the sealing ministry of God the Holy Spirit? The sealing ministry of God the Holy Spirit is a signature guarantee that you are saved once and for all time. Amen? And Christ is doing the same thing by promising you a resurrection body. He is signing his name as a guarantee that that will absolutely occur. And if Christ says it, you can count on it. There is an intimate connection between the Christ, the Messiah, and church-age believers who are in union with the Christ. And that is all of us. We are in Christ. Christ indwelling us, the hope of our future glory. So Paul then uses the negative consequence of Adam's sin and compares it to the positive consequence of Christ's resurrection from the dead in 1 Corinthians 15, 21. It says, since by a man, Adam, came spiritual death to all, by a man also came the resurrection, the Greek word anastasis, came the resurrection of the dead for all believers. So here here you've got the two Adams. Adam of Adam and Esha, Adam and Eve fame, the first man who was ever created was the first Adam. Jesus Christ is described as the last Adam. What Adam couldn't accomplish, Jesus Christ did accomplish. Perfection. Amen? Adam represents the old man in the human race. As the federal head of the human race, his original sin brought spiritual death to all mankind. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 confirms it. Therefore, just as through one man Adam, sin entered into the world, and spiritual death entered the world through sin, and so spiritual death spread to all men, because all men were considered by God to have sinned when Adam sinned. And that's why you were born physically alive and spiritually dead. Because Adam sinned and your sin was imputed to, his sin was imputed to you from the moment of your physical birth. When does human life begin? Human life begins when biological life meets soul life. When does that happen? 
one second after birth when you hear the noise. Before that, biological life. And human beings get all attached to biological life. It's like getting started to have affection for your liver. See, because biological life is mortal. That's why the physical body dies. Because it was created by mortal. Mortal cannot live in immortality. Amen? So, biological life is not human life. No matter how affectionate you feel about it. But when does human life begin? One second after birth when soul life is imputed by God to biological life, and that's human life. One second. Get that? Now, let me go out and tell the world that. Let me put that on TV. Strip him. Put him out in the square and set him on fire. He tells the truth. We must not hear it. Now, Jesus Christ represents the new creation. As the Savior of the world, his death on the cross brought the possibility of spiritual life to all mankind. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and all believers in Christ are, there is a new creation. The old man things passed away, meaning they died, Behold, new humanity things have come. That's a new way to look at it. New human, new new humanity things have come. You are a new humanity. You are a new spiritual species. And as a believer in the Lord (laughs) Jesus, hey, June, you ought to make a song about that, a new spiritual species, but you can't pronounce spiritual species, so maybe we should just forget. (laughs) What song is that in? Spiritual species. Brand new spiritual species. I always like hearing June sing that song. It sounds like she's chewing marbles. But anyway, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not a better version of your old man. You are a completely new creation. Adam brought spiritual death to us all, but Christ brought the resurrection life to us all. Amen? 1 Corinthians 15:22 For in union with Adam all die spiritually. The minute sin is imputed to you, you are spiritually dead. But in union with Christ, all will be made spiritually alive, and that's what's meant by the fact that you are born again. You know, Nicodemus wanted to be funny about it. Oh, what can we do? Go back into our mother's womb and be Born a second time? <laughs> yeah, Nikki, that's real funny. But you're spiritually dead, buddy. And what did Jesus say to him? What, is this a surprise to you that you have to be born again, man? You've been studying Scripture for 20 years and you don't know? So, in union with Adam, all die spiritually. In union with the Christ, all will be made spiritually alive. And that is the resurrection life for believers in Christ. And we are the born-again ones. Amen? That should excite you. It should excite you every week when I come and tell you about your heritage. I tell you about your inheritance. I tell you about how God looks at you. 
when you're discouraged. See, I'm not discouraged anymore. When I started this lesson, I was discouraged. I didn't want to teach. But right now, I am not discouraged anymore because when I consistently hear what it is that our God has done for us, it's exciting to me. Amen? So, humans are in union with Adam by their very nature at physical birth. But believers are in union with Christ at the new birth when they choose to invest their gift of faith in Christ for eternal life. The resurrection life. Why would God even call it the resurrection life if there was no resurrection from the dead? And the truth of the matter is, he wouldn't. Zoe. That's the the Greek word. Zoe. Hangs right above my movie room. Zoe. Everybody said, who is Zoe? No, Zoe. Life. Life. Resurrection life. And every day I get to look up there and see that. It, it reminds me of what I have. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty three. You have it too. But each of us on the shepherd sheep team, believers in Christ, will be resurrected from the dead in his own order. The Christ as the first fruits, that's already occurred. Then after that, those who are Christ's at his coming, and that's the rapture, us church-age believers, dead or alive, will meet Christ in the air at the exit resurrection of the church, exonastasis in the Greek. Anastasis is resurrection. Exonastasis is the resurrection from. You're going to hear a trumpet. You're going to think it's Louis Armstrong, but it isn't. Is that what he played? Did he play the trumpet? Yeah, I think he did. You're going to think it's Louis. But it's not. It's going to be Gabriel. And we're going to be plucked off the earth. And we're going to meet the Lord in the air. And that would be the time when you would want to be sitting on a couch watching TV. If you could. You can't because you're going to be in the air. But you would love to see. We have a breaking news story. A mysterious disappearance of a bunch of people. Clothes laying everywhere. Planes crashing out of the sky. It just must be a bad day. It's a leap year, and that's probably what's going on. Go back into your homes. Ignore that man behind the curtain. I I just can't wait to hear how the media explains all believers in Christ being plucked off the earth. Now, there are not going to be any believers in Christ around to explain what happened. It's going to be all unbelievers on the earth at that point. I don't want anything to do, to do with a world that's got all unbelievers. But Satan contends that the reason he can't run his planet successfully is because us pain-in-the-ass believers are always interfering with everything. So what's going to happen? He's going to try to create a utopia on Earth. He's going to try his hand at ruling the Earth with no interference from believers in Christ. That's the next divine event in divine history. And we will not be here after that event happens because God will pluck us off the earth. We will be in heaven, absent from the body and face to face with our almighty Lord. Can't wait for that. But there's a lot to do before we sleep. We're not going just yet. 
We like being the thorn in Satan's side. Amen? Amen. We like giving him grief. And so we're sticking around from that. 1 Corinthians 15, 24, and then comes the end when the Christ hands over the kingdom of, uh, to God the Father, when Christ has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. Now, what we know right now, if we read Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, that everyone who is in a position of authority was placed there by God. Even Sleepy Joe, our president, was placed into that position by God. Okay? But there's going to be a day when all of those folks are taken out of power. They will be dethroned, and our Lord will be on the seat of rulership of planet Earth. He is on the seat of rulership in the universe right now. 1 Corinthians 15, 25. For Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, that may seem unusual to you because you've probably seen it that God the Father is going to put all of the enemies under, Satan, uh, under Jesus' feet. So you, you think, well, wait a minute. What, what, how is Jesus putting all the enemies under his feet? Well, God the Father acts through Jesus to subject all enemies, all rulers, all authorities to dethrone them so that Christ alone ascends to the throne of earth just as he is on the throne of the universe. And Paul is sharing information on the future of human history. And here's what it is. We are where we are right now in the church age. The church age ends with the rapture of the church, the exit resurrection of the church. Then we go into the seven-year tribulation period, which is the end of the age of Israel. And in that tribulation period, the worst period of time in human history, three and a half years of utopia led by the Antichrist, a charismatic figure who orchestrates one world government, one world religion, one world currency. He is irresistible, and everybody falls for his deception. And the people on the earth are going to be shocked that the Muslims, united with the Catholics, united with the Latter-day Saints, united with the Baptists, and all of them decided that Rome was their headquarters and that there was just going to be one religion. The Rodney King moment in divine history. Why can't we all just get along? And this charismatic leader is going to orchestrate that in three and a half years at speed that warps the imagination. One world currency, a speed that warps the imagination. Just like our imagination was warped about a year and a couple months ago when we never thought that we would give up every freedom we have and get scared that some virus that we've been successfully fighting off, me for 66 years, was all of a sudden going to be an ominous boogeyman hanging over my head. And then if I didn't wear a mask, I was in danger. Stay safe. Stay away from each other. Cover your face. Wash your hands. Man, I was clean before, amen? But now, <laughs> I mean, you, y'all could come up here. I smell good. I was clean before, but now I am super clean. I was in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. 
I was in Mexico this week. You know, my son is half Mexican. So, I mean, he would fit perfectly in what's going on in Mexico. I watched this woman in a restaurant mopping the floor of that restaurant incessantly for one straight hour. I mean, I, I'm putting my money on her if there's one of those contests where you, you're doing this. Because she was constantly mopping for an hour straight. Germs, <laughs> germs have no chance in Mexico, amen? Because they are some cleaning folks. And this is what happened to us. Our brain was abducted a year and a couple months ago, and now we're scared to death. And it happened with a breakneck speed. That's the kind of speed the Antichrist is going to be taking over the world and making one world government, one world religion, one world currency. And three and a half years into the tribulation, he's going to die at, sim- at the exact same time when Satan and his angels are expelled from heaven. Satan is going to indwell this guy as he lies in state for three days. He's going to bring him back to life, and that will be the counterfeit resurrection because Satan counterfeits everything that is part of the plan of God. And then for the next three years, it is mission, kill all the Jews. And just when Satan is about to be successful and he has the Jews trapped in an area, Jesus Christ will come in the second coming and kill every unbeliever on the earth. Then he will ascend to the throne of planet earth. He will lock Satan up for a thousand years. He will ascend to the throne in what is called the millennial reign of Christ. At the end of the millennial reign, he'll let Satan out for a short period of time, and Satan will do what he always does. He will instigate a rebellion called the Gog and Magog Revolution, and God will put it down in one day and will throw the beast, the false prophet, and Satan into the lake of fire. Then he will destroy the earth and the universe as we know it, create the new earth and the new universe, And that's where we will live forever. And your resurrection body will withstand the blast that destroys the earth and the universe as we know it. It will be the biggest fireworks show you ever saw. So every year on January 1st, when you see fireworks going up, that's just a preview of coming attractions. When our God completely destroys the earth and the universe as we know it. That's what we have to look forward to. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He skips the details, but he ensures us that the resurrection from the dead gives all believers in Christ an amazing future, a hope of an amazing life. And remember, hope in the Greek is absolute confidence. We have absolute confidence as believers that we will have an amazing future. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. And the last enemy that will be abolished by Christ is the destroyer of the body, death. Are you afraid to die? The Lord doesn't want that for us. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 say this, Therefore, since the children, believers who are possessions of God the Father, share in, the, in flesh and blood, we are human. Jesus himself, likewise, also partook of the same. He took on the form of a human. That through physical death, Jesus might render powerless, completely neutering him who had the power of death, that is the devil, who does not have the power to kill us, but has the power to hold death 
over our heads to scare us. Hebrews 2.15, so that Jesus might free from slavery those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Believers in Christ need to keep on remembering who our Redeemer is, the one who purchased us with his blood from slavery. Death has no power over us. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to say it again. Death has no power over us. These bodies we have will wear out, but our lives will not end. And the body we will be gifted with in the future will be amazing, just like Christ's resurrection body. That's what Genesis 1.26 is talking about. We are made in the image of God. Resurrection is something to look forward to. 1 Corinthians 15.27, For the Christ has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when God the Father says all things are put in in subjection by God the Father, it is evident that God the Father is accepted from subjection who put all things in subjection to Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. Now Paul exhorts, when all things are subjected to God the Father through the resurrection of the dead, then the Son himself also will be subjected to God the Father who subjected all things to Christ so that God the Father may be over all and indwelling all. God the Father, the creator of the divine plan, reigns supreme through the Christ who is in subjection to his will. In Luke chapter 22, verse 22, Christ proclaims, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And it is so. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll study section 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite. We'll all never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that Start talking to me, saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody, trying to tell everybody, all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing, I'm living for the world to see, nobody. 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Resurrection Makes Death Powerless. Resurrection Makes Death Powerless. Our God is always encouraging generosity. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says this, The generous person will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Be generous so that those you help with your contributions may receive the gospel message implanted, And let the word of God sprout from within them through the seeds nourished by God. And let the word give them the strength to put one foot in front of the other during times of spiritual challenge. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with his always inspiring offering message.
There it is. <clears throat> Good, morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I've been resurrected as a deacon for Bra Ministries. Amen. Amen. Bra Ministries is a, is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor, a real man, teach the Word of God, teach the real truth of the Word of God. And past, amen. amen. And so, is the resurrection real? Is it real? Who knows, right? That's opposite of what we've been what we've been learning. But pastors, he's been asking us to have some critical thinking to test what we've been learning, and he's been asking that of me for a long time. And I, I'm in and out of doing that. But you know, how do how do we apply that to life? We test you know critical thinking of life. We see a lot of food that we eat. You know, it's branded good or safe or healthy for us. But what's really behind it? Nothing. You know, natural. They put natural on it. It's supposed to be real good for you, real healthy. Like even the, the new Impossible Burger, it's supposed to be, you know, all plant-based. And they're saying a lot of the stuff is the same things they have in dog food. So go ahead with that. That sounds yummy. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's super good for you. It's not an animal. It's going to help the world. But then, you know, like even water. The water we drink out of our taps, there's acceptable levels of toxins in there. They say it's safe to drink. It doesn't mean it's good for you. So everybody just jumps ship and now are drinking bottles of water. But what's in those? Plastic, we're finding out, and all those bottles of water. So it's not just better. We're, just, we're not testing anything we're doing. You know, We just jump ship. They tell us something else, and that's the world. And you know, What about the curriculum in school for our kids? You know, if you're engaged as a parent, you're going to find out some pretty distasteful things that they're teaching our kids. Critical race theory to transgender stuff, all of this acceptable lifestyles to our kids, to a five-year-old. It's not necessary. But parents aren't engaged. This just goes by and by. So those things matter in our life, but how, let's, let's test our spiritual life. Let's test the things. Let's test the promises of God. That sounds scary, right? You're going to test God? But, I mean, you think about it, God, the Bible promised his promise of the birth of Jesus. And did that come true? The Bible says so. Or how about the cross? The death, you know, Jesus predicted his death on the cross. I think the cross is hard to miss. You see it everywhere. That happened. The Bible says so. You know, and then what about the resurrection? Is it real? It is. We see in Second Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, we're seeing that it, it is real. It did happen. You know, so the promises of God, we test those. There's no acceptable levels of evil or acceptable levels of bad. The promises of God are fully safe. That's why we come here. That's why we want to know the wisdom of God. That helps us get through the lies and the doubt that Satan puts in our lives. You know, and so one of the, the biggest promises for me that's amazing, which Pastor Connor already stole my glory, is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we believers in Christ know that, if, know that if the earthly tent, our physical body, which is our house, is torn down, and it will be, we have a building from God, a resurrection body, a house not made with hands, an eternal home in heaven, a supernatural body, a supernatural house. Jesus went there to prepare it for us. And that's just amazing. So we know, if we're testing the promises of God, that that's true. You know? And so the promises of God have no acceptable levels of evil. No acceptable levels. They're purely safe for us. So this place is safe. The Bible is safe. We've tested it. So that's why people come here, and that's why you support this ministry, because that's all we're trying to get out, is the purity and simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The simple message of the Word of God. Who God is. Who Christ is. 
And so we always thank you for supporting this ministry and supporting us because, you know, we like to have our hair do. You know, our hair did. You can see I do mine every week, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, for everybody that helps and supports this ministry, um, we truly love you. We, we, we hope that God supports you in the same way that you support this ministry. And we just want to say thank you to our pastor because he does an amazing job. And he promises each week to get up here, and he's up here. So he's a real man for that. So thank you very much. Today's Bible lesson, Resurrection Makes Death Powerless. Resurrection makes death powerless. Paul continues his argument for the resurrection of the dead by pointing out the absurd practices of the day. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are these people baptized for them? See, this is a practice that's still going on today. The Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, they do these endless genealogies. And then they go and pray for different people who are dead, and they're praying for their salvation. 
Sorry to inform you, too late. If there is no resurrection from the dead, though, why would the dead who are just dead need a proxy baptism from somebody who's alive? They don't. And why would those who are getting baptized for the dead make complete fools of themselves? More important than this, it has to be clear to Christians that praying for the dead is pointless. And I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to repeat that. It has to be clear to Christians that praying for the dead is pointless. It's one of the ways Satan, the enemy of God, gets us to fear death. He inspires the thought, what if we don't make it to heaven and no one prays for us? Yikes! Let me be clear, because the Bible is clear. Praying for the dead accomplishes nothing. Now... Fortunately, this is the day that a couple of my Mexican friends didn't come. Amen? (laughs) Because they got a holiday, November 1st. Norbert, yes, I am talking to you. I know you're listening on the stream. So I'm glad I didn't have to insult you (laughs) face-to-face. But, and Yvonne, I'm talking to you too. I don't want to hurt your feelings today, girlfriend, so I'm glad y'all didn't come. But November 1st, there is a day in Mexico called Dia de los Muertas. I think it's, that's the way you pronounce it. It's probably not like that, but it's the Day of the Dead. And that's where everybody goes to the cemeteries to pray for the dead. And that's why I'm getting cremated. Because I don't want anybody to have to come anywhere to pray for me when I'm dead. I'm going to be... My ashes are going to be spread in Mount Waiali on the island of Kauai. And if you want to see me, come to the wettest spot in the world and just look down there and say, Rory's down there somewhere. Because that's where I will be. Amen? That's where my ashes are going to be spread. I decided that when I was 21 years old. Mount Waiali. And if you want to know why, go YouTube it. Go check that place out. It's so gorgeous. It's just amazing. So I don't want you praying for me when I'm dead. Why? Because it's pointless. Here's what the Bible has to say in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It says, It is appointed by God for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment, the evaluation. So you are not going to be reincarnated. Sorry. You could pray for the dead until you're blue in the face. It will not help. It's biblical. We get one chance. While you're breathing, that's your chance. The only way for anyone to be saved is to make a decision for Christ on their own for themselves when they are alive. Being baptized as a baby accomplishes nothing except that some mean guy with a funny robe on is pouring oily water in your eyes to make you cry. A parent cannot make a child's decision for them. The confirmation ceremony in the Roman Catholic Church, Jesus Christ isn't even mentioned in the ceremony. Satan is mentioned in the ceremony more than Jesus Christ is. Do you renounce Satan and all of his works? And all of his deeds, we do renounce them. Check it out. Don't believe me? Go check it out. And see, these are the things that happen right in front of our face. 
and we like pretending that it's all holy and everything when it's nothing. It's deception. Now, how do you think I felt about that after being a Roman Catholic for 21 years on the track to be a Jesuit priest? How do you think I found out, I felt about being deceived for 21 years? I cried like a baby, balled up on the floor, crying like a baby. That I let myself do that. Because I didn't check, and it was right in front of my face. The best deceptions succeed and they are right in front of your face. You remember, (laughs) I am, you remember what I was telling you last week, the thing that disturbs me most about my life? Mirages. Things that appear real, that I think are very real, that are not real. It's painful. So we've got to check. We've got to inspect. We've got to have our guard up. We are in enemy territory. We always have to have our guard up. The United States has a thing called DEFCON. It's defense condition. And there are five DEFCONs. DEFCON 1 is global thermonuclear war. DEFCON 5 is peace. But we are always at a DEFCON. We are always on the defense. We are never relaxed. Thank God for that. So praying for the dead accomplishes nothing, but these practices, these pagan practices, are still alive and well in many religions of the world. And what Paul is likely pointing out here is that death and resurrection are partners. In in Christianity, if we die we assume that we will be resurrected. If we die only, life makes no sense, especially for Christians who worship in expectation of being resurrected from the dead. Life makes no sense at all. Paul continues, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then why are we facing danger every hour? Paul's life was always in jeopardy. He's referring to himself when he says we here. He's saying, what am I, stupid? To which we say, yes, Paul, if there's no resurrection from the dead, you are stupid. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. My life is in jeopardy every day. That's what he's saying. What does he mean? The Jews wanted to kill him because he's a Jew preaching Christianity. Satan wanted to destroy him because he stopped doing Satan's work and started doing God's work. The Christians didn't trust him because he had killed Christians. He is the number one murderer of Christians for all time. He was in jeopardy of physical harm all the time. If there's no resurrection from the dead, Paul would be stupid to be a minister, as he attests in 1 Corinthians 15.32. If only from human motives... I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. What does it profit me? What's the sense of that? If the dead are not raised, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And he's quoting one of the famous uh, expressions of the day. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let us raise our glass. There is no need to be ethical 
There's no need to be moral if Christianity and faith in Christ are a joke. Let's just avoid pain and pursue pleasure. And really, if you think about it, that's the focus of most of us anyway. That's the way we live our life. Avoid pain. Oh, why does God give us tribulation? It's the spiritual gym. He's taking you to the spiritual gymnasium. Because did you see how fast I went from discouragement to back to normal? All I needed to do was tell you. Now I'm back to normal. I can't dwell on that. I'm not going to be down. I'm not going to let it take me out of play. Because somebody wants to hurt my feelings. Somebody wants to reject me or something I do or the work I do or the teaching I do. Reject it. You're in kindergarten, people. I've had some graduate school rejections in my life, amen? And you have about 150 of those, and nothing phases you. What, what, what can you do to discourage somebody who came out of the ghetto? Nothing. What is it I haven't seen? gave him one back. So look, 1 Corinthians, here's Paul lowering the boom. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. What is he saying? Paul's pointing out that being around the wrong influences corrupts you. If you, as a believer in Christ, watch the news, you are making a mistake. Why? Because you're being propagandized. And it neutralizes everything you're doing in your Bible class and installs in your soul fears. Don't you ever just look at the news and say, why do I care about that? Why don't you do that? Why don't you watch the news just one more time? And every story that comes up, Just ask yourself a very simple question. Why do I care about that? A woman's house burned down today, killing her and all of her children. Why do I care about that? Not anybody I know. I care about it from a human perspective. I certainly don't want to see anybody die a tragic death like that. But these are things that happen every day. Why do I care about that? Why are they telling me about that? What is the significance of it to my life? I'll tell you what the significance is. They want me to be scared that that's going to happen to me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go out and buy 100 fire extinguishers. I'm going to install them all around my house. I did that. I guarantee you, if you come over to my house, there's no chance that you're going to burn up in my house. There's a fire extinguisher everywhere. Because that's what happens when you watch the news. You just get scared. And you do everything you can to mitigate something that is 1% of what's going on in this world. Being passed off like it's 100% of what's going on in the world. Most of the stuff that's going on in the world today among people is pretty good stuff. I was with, uh, when I was in Mexico this week, I was playing with a couple, uh, playing golf with a couple that have been married for 35 years. And what was absolutely obvious to me is they absolutely love each other. 
They treat each other amazingly well. They love each other. I don't ever hear about people like that on TV. But I witnessed it with my own eyes so much so that I had to tell them. I said, I don't know anything about you, and I don't know anything about your relationship. But what I see, I really like. It seems to me like you guys are on the same page. And the husband said, oh, we definitely are. We definitely are, and we have been from the beginning. Yeah, that happens all the time. Not hearing about it. You watch the news. What significance does this have in my life? The weather. Why do we watch the weather? Well, you, were you going to do something about it? Tomorrow it's going to rain. Oh, well, thank God I know that so I can take an umbrella. So what? It's going to rain. You get wet. Have an umbrella in your car. I got an umbrella on the left side of my car, umbrella on the right side of my car, umbrella in the trunk of my car. If it rains, I ain't going to get wet. Amen? Amen? They don't cost but $10. And if the wind's blowing, they're going to blow away anyway, so you're going to get wet. I don't know. Being around the wrong influence corrupts you. The influence of this Greek philosopher society, saying that there's no resurrection from the dead, questioning whether the resurrection is real, has to be ignored. Satan's always doing that stuff. So Paul finishes this particular se- section by exhorting us, 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty four, become sober-minded. That means wake up as you ought and stop sinning. Stop doing the eat, drink, and be merry stuff. For some have no knowledge of God in this world, and they need you to tell them about Jesus. And if you're off being eaten and drinking and being merry, you ain't telling nobody about Jesus. And Paul says, I speak this to shame you. Paul encourages us not to be distracted by false teachers and by false thinking. Raquel made an amazing point on the break. She was talking about friends who are always questioning the Bible. And they say, well, the Bible was written by men. Yet the very stuff that they're reading is written by men, and they don't question that. Right? Eckerd Tolle. Have you ever read anything by this idiot? Some of the stuff that... that uh, I read 10 pages of his stuff, and I almost vomited. But Oprah Winfrey, she, he's, she's in Oprah Winfrey's book club. Yeah, she's coming back to. Oh no, she she she's been away preparing to come back and assault us even more with her uh, false crap. That's that's where she's been. So look, Paul encourages us not to be distracted by false teachers, not to be distracted by false teaching. And instead, to trust the word of our God. And then to take that word and to evangelize to people. Because there is absolutely, without question, as an established and irrevocable fact, a resurrection from the dead. The resurrection from the dead is real. The resurrection from the dead conquers death. 
And if you are a believer in Christ, you are going to be resurrected from the dead, no questions asked. And that's it. So, next week we'll start the next section, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's close with some music. Life is our most important gift from God. As believers in Christ, our life is our union with Christ. As John says in chapter 4, verse 1 of his gospel, in the Lord, God the Son, was the resurrection life, and the resurrection life was the light of men. Our physical life comes from him. Our spiritual life comes from him. Our created life comes from him. Jesus Christ is God. And here's June Murphy to sing about him. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being. Through Him all things came into being. Through Him
and the Word was with God, and the Word was Jesus. Jesus Christ. Are you sure? I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe he is, and, you know, maybe he's just a guy who's a good teacher and a prophet, just like all the other prophets, you know? (laughs) Jesus Christ is definitely God. Well, the closing moments of our study today are for anyone who is here or anyone listening throughout the world who does not have a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. And it doesn't take a lot of time. It takes about six minutes to learn about it, about six seconds to make the decision, and it will be the best decision you've ever made in your life. There is one inescapable truth that is at the root of Christianity. Jesus the Christ. Jesus Christ is God. And there's only one way to get to heaven, by placing your faith in him and what he's done at the cross on your behalf. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the most important being in the universe. He loves you unconditionally. He created you. And he wants a relationship with you. And that's good news for you. The bad news is that you were born with a problem. From the moment of your physical birth, God considered you to be a sinner. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, It is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Unfortunately, for believers who look at that, they say, well, that doesn't describe me because believers are not unrighteous and we have sinned, but we definitely don't fall short of the glory of God because he has given us his glory. Now, for those of you who are unbelievers, it's not your fault that you're a sinner from physical birth, but it is your circumstance. And unfortunately, being a sinner has a penalty. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The payment earned for being a sinner is both spiritual death and physical death. In addition to being a sinner, you commit personal sins. As a result, you don't meet God's standards. God requires perfection from you to get into heaven. So being a good person or trying to work your way into heaven with good but imperfect deeds does not impress God at all. The gospel message is the good news concerning what the Lord did to fix the bad news in a sinner's life. Jesus Christ paid a price with his blood so that you can be saved. Responding to his gospel message is your chance to have a personal relationship with him. Here's what the Lord said to a self-righteous Pharisee, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you were born again, the spiritual birth, 
you cannot see the kingdom of God the Father in heaven. God the Father wants you in heaven. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind and that while we were yet sinners, when we were the enemies of God, unrighteous, ungodly, unbelieving, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. Who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, I, Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. Absolute righteousness is your admission ticket to heaven. It is the key to eternal life, the resurrection life, and it is yours free of charge right now if you want it. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 to 11 say this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that Jesus Christ is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.10. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness, your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, choosing faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. For Scripture says, in Romans 10.11, Scripture says, whosoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. So heed the invitation and the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. There is a hell, and it is a very real place. And it's described this way in the Bible. Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 to 43. The Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, will send forth his elect angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, that's unbelievers, and those who commit lawlessness, unbelievers, Matthew 13, 42. And the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire, and in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew thirteen forty three. Then the righteous, believers in Christ, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Matthew thirteen thirty, And that's it. For, for those without a relationship with Christ, he'll just ask them to step to the left and take the elevator. Just press down. Getting to heaven is easy. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Sinners need a Savior. The Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him and you will be saved. Amen? Amen. Let's close with words of worship for our almighty God. Proverbs. Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say, Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. 
and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Jesus, and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is the God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back, because he cares for you. And he cares for you is a Greek idiom, and it means God considers all of your problems to be his responsibility. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for the encouragement that the Word of God provides. We thank you for installing the truth in our souls. And we thank you for watering it and helping it to grow so that as we handle the problems of our life, we have a biblical context with which to look at our challenges. Thank you for solving all of our problems with your supernatural power. We ask that as we go forward this week, we learn to love ourselves, we learn to love our children, we learn to love others just as you love us, and we pray that we might use the power that you give us to have impact on people, winning them for the gospel and winning them for study of the word of God, one person at a time, one conversation at a time. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.